0: Thanks, Tim. And uh, it is a very serious chapter. Uh, The prayer that you offered to the Lord then through our singing is one that uh, will have repercussions when we read this word today, and Tim preaches from it too. So the Lord said to Moses, Do not make idols or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves. And do not place a carved stone in your land or bow down to it. I am the Lord, your God. Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops and the trees of the field their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest And the grape harvest will continue until planting. And you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. I will grant peace in the land, and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove savage beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred. And a hundred of you will chase 10,000 and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers. And I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. But if you will not listen to me, And carry out all these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring upon you sudden terror, wasting diseases, and fever that will destroy your sight and drain away your life. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it i will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies those who hate you will rule, you will rule over you and you will flee even when no one is pursuing you if after all this you will not listen to me i will punish you for your sins seven times over i will break down your stubborn pride and make the sky above you like iron and the ground beneath you like bronze. Your strength will be spent in vain because your soil will not yield its crops, nor will the trees of the land yield their fruit. If you remain hostile towards me and refuse to listen to me, I will multiply your afflictions seven times over as your sins deserve. I will send wild animals against you, and they will rob you of your children, destroy your cattle, and make you so few in number that your roads will be deserted. If in spite of these things you do not accept my correction, but continue to be hostile towards me, I myself will be hostile towards you and will afflict you for your sins seven times over. And I will bring the sword upon you to avenge the breaking of the covenant. When you withdraw into your cities, I will send a plague among you, and you will be given into your enemies' hands. When I cut off your supply of bread, ten women will be able to bake your bread in one oven, and they will dole out the bread by weight. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied. If in spite of this you still do not listen to me, but continue to be hostile towards me, then in my anger I will be hostile towards you, and I myself will punish you for your sins seven times over. You will eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars and pile your dead bodies on the lifeless forms of your idols and I will abhor you. I will turn your cities into ruins and lay waste your sanctuaries and I will take no delight in the pleasing aroma of your offerings. I will lay waste the land so that your enemies who live there will be appalled. I will scatter you among the nations and will draw out my sword and pursue you. Your land will be laid waste and your cities will lie in ruins. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years all the time that it lies desolate and you are in the country of your enemies. Then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths all the time that it lies desolate The land will have the rest it did not have during the Sabbaths you lived in it. As for those of you who are left, I will make their hearts so fearful in the lands of their enemies that the sound of a wind-blown leaf will put them to flight. They will run as though fleeing from the sword and they will fall, even though no one is pursuing them. They will stumble over one another as though fleeing from the sword, even though no one is pursuing them. So you will not be able to stand before your enemies. You will perish among the nations. The land of your enemies will devour you. Those of you who are left will waste away in the lands of their enemies because of their sins. Also because of their father's sins, they will waste away. But if they will confess their sins and the sins of their fathers, their treachery against me and their hostility towards me, which made me hostile towards them so that I sent them into the land of their enemies, then when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pay for their sin... I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember the land, for the land will be deserted by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They will pay for their sins because they rejected my laws and abhorred my decrees. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies... I will not reject them or abhor them so as to destroy them completely, breaking my covenant with them. I am the Lord their God. But for their sake I will remember the covenant with their ancestors, whom I brought out of Egypt in the sight of the nations to be their God. I am the Lord. These are the decrees, the laws and the regulations that the Lord established on Mount Sinai between himself and the Israelites through Moses. The word of the Lord to us.
1: Thanks for that, Ross. Uh, Let let us come before the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, as we've just uh, sung, uh, we ask that you do speak to us through your word, as we consider your promises this morning. Father, it is a matter as we 've read of life or death, whether or not we we follow you as our God, and whether we turn to you with our whole hearts Father, we as we consider these words this morning, I pray Father that your Holy Spirit would work uh, through. This time, as we uh, hear your word preached, that we might encounter you through the gospel. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I think we can all agree on one thing this morning. Broken promises are a pretty lousy thing. Maybe you've said these words, Honey, why have you not cleaned the lounge room? Or the kitchen, like you said you would. We have visitors coming over in an hour. Now I have to go and do it. Or perhaps a work colleague has said to you, don't, don't worry, don't worry. I'll get it to you by the end of today. Only to have the day pass you by and they not get it to you. Maybe you were that person who didn't fulfill your side of the bargain and follow through with a promise that you had made. Now, sometimes broken promises, let's be honest, don't bother you and I too much. Like failing to do the dishes like you said you would. Let's face it, it's pretty frustrating, but we can get over it. But there are other promises in life that are much more hurtful and carry with them much more deeply felt consequences. Perhaps you consider unfaithfulness in a marriage where someone doesn't live out their marriage vows. Perhaps you think of a real estate agent who breaks an offer with you for a house that you always wanted, all for a better offer. Maybe a broken business agreement or contract that causes a whole business to go south. Or yes, political promises that are long since been forgotten. In our culture today, being someone of your word is something that we, I think, re-recognize as something that is important in our world today. And when someone isn't uh, someone of their word, we're all too aware of the hurtful consequences that that can bring. Whereas we consider this quite heavy passage in many ways, in Leviticus 26, what we find is that God, God of the Bible, is really all about making promises. He is both promise-making and promise-keeping. Not only do we discover that God is promise-making and promise-keeping and that we as humanity, is actually we are promise-breaking, we also discover God has a heart to make a people, his people, to become promise-keeping themselves. As we consider Leviticus 26 this morning, we're going to see this revealed in three profound, yes, three life-changing promises that God makes to us, and how all that relates to, the, to obedience and living for Him in holy living. And so in our passage this morning, the first promise that we really see is this. It's the promise of blessing. Blessing that is promised to those who live obediently to God. Uh, In our journey through Leviticus over the last few weeks, we've seen quite a lot of things. We've seen God's priestly instruction to Aaron and the high priest and his sons. Instruction that the priestly family uh, was to instruct really all of God's people with. We saw laws about priestly sacrifices To atone for sin, we saw laws concerning the priesthood, laws about ritual purity, along with many other laws about how Israel were to respond to God delivering them out of Egypt. Now, as we come to chapter 26, we see a final call, a final call to arms in some ways, to God's people to respond and live obediently to all that they've heard in the law. To obey the covenant that God had made with them. Now a covenant being a a promise, a special commitment that God has made between him and his people. Think a little bit like a marriage relationship. You could then imagine chapter 26 in some ways uh, a bit like say a, a high school principal who is farewelling their year 12 students. Calling them to press on and succeed in life. To make something of life, rather than letting life pass them by, or being ruined by making some terrible decisions. To take into their future all that they had learned at school for their benefit. And so in a similar way, you could say that chapter 26 is Moses' call to Israel to listen to the godly instruction that they've received, all for their benefit. In verses 3 to 13, we see this first promise, this promise to bless his people. All with this gigantic if that comes before the blessing. What is this if? If they are obedient to the covenant. If they fulfill their side of the bargain with God. Uh, As I said a little bit earlier, when we think of obedience to God or to any religion or philosophy in the West uh, in general, I think we could say that it tends to be viewed negatively, with Christianity often being seen, at least by some, to be restrictive in nature. Instead, according to our culture, true freedom comes from really unshackling oneself from any religion. Some even view Christianity as potentially harmful because it is seen to encourage the suppression of your natural wants or desires. Perhaps you're even here today and you might think, well, why, why do I need God in my life when I can seem to live quite contently without any faith or religion? Besides, isn't there plenty of ways in life that I can experience deep satisfaction and joy outside of God. Maybe you have a loving, fun, funny family, a fulfilling job that you live, or a pretty epic holiday that you have coming up. And actually such thinking and beliefs on the surface and for a time might actually feel entirely true in your experience. But here comes one of the big claims of the Christian faith. That is, without God, you are missing out on true fulfillment, the deepest of satisfaction, true and the deepest of joys. How can Christianity make such a claim? Well, it's because the human heart, according to the Bible and by design, needs to be filled and nourished by the presence of God. Despite how joyful and all-fulfilling the things in this life can be and seem to us, none of them last forever or fill us entirely. Imagine going to a three Michelin star restaurant and eating the best chef food that you can eat on this planet. I... I haven't done that, I can't afford to do that, but I would really enjoy that. It would be amazing to eat that kind of food. But no matter how satisfying that food is, breakfast always comes. You always become hungry again. The human heart, according to the Bible, is like that. A bottomless pit that can never truly become satisfied and achieve deep happiness without God. <coughs> Families might fight. Perhaps you might lose your job or find that your job becomes frustrating and unfulfilling. All holidays must come to an end or you might become homesick while abroad. Instead, true blessing, true happiness, and fulfillment in life comes through living. A life dedicated to the Lord. And our passage calls us to believe then that choosing God and his ways over the world and sin in any given situation is always the better option. That's a meaningful truth both for the Christian and uh, someone who isn't a Christian to consider that truth. It also uh, is an important thing to consider when we think about what does it mean to experience more of God in our current age of subjectivism and chasing uh, experience for the sake of trying to get a a new spiritual high when you're not feeling close to God some people including many Christians might think well I just need a bit of a spiritual pick-me-up a new spiritual high Maybe I just need to go to a church with good vibes or that has a really motivating speaker or, or the best music in town now don 't get me wrong it 's good to do things well and, and to to do things well as a church, but at a base level, biblical Christianity gives a different answer when it when it comes to experiencing more of god in fact, a rich experience of God comes through walking closer to Him and His ways. If you're struggling to experience a closeness to God, then that's precisely the time to examine your life and consider how you may not be walking in step with God and His ways. The call to live holy, obedient lives really is good for you. And really does make a difference to one's experience of God. And so that's the first promise that we see in our passage today. This promise of blessing, of, of following God and His ways. It is good for us. There's another promise that we see next in our passage. The second promise is this. That says in our passage we see the promise of cursing. Cursing that is promised to those who live disobediently. After that promise of blessing, next from verse 14 to 39 in our passage, Moses pens some really solemn words, actually really shocking words, uh, in those verses. Outlining all the negative consequences that Israel would face and experience if they chose to reject God and His ways. I just want you to notice a few key things about these promises of curses. These covenant curses, you might say. Firstly, notice with me just how serious sin is in God's eyes. In contrast with our culture, our culture tends to promote uh, a life that's free from all religious constraint, as I said uh, just earlier. And in that way, our culture sort of sees sin as very light or casual. In fact, in many ways today, sin is actually promoted as something good for you rather than bad, as the way of blessing and fulfilment and what's actually good for you. But that's not what Scripture tells us. In our culture, freedom, the idea might be, as an example, having casual sex with whoever you want, as much as you want. Or even when it comes to bodily rights, freedom is seen to have full autonomy over your bodies. And when it comes to something like even abortion, freedom is seen that you should be allowed to take the life of an unborn child. But that's not the, what freedom is according to Scripture. Scripture would say that that's not, that's not right. We, that's actually murder in a lot of ways. Maybe you could think of, even just in a general sense, our culture says freedom could actually just simply be living self-centered lives that are based on what makes you happy. When it comes to Scripture, though, that's not the notion of true freedom, as we will soon explore a little bit later on. But when it comes to this notion of freedom, Christians aren't off the hook either in thinking in similar ways. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm saved by grace. What does a little bit of sin here and there, why does it even matter all that much? I'm in Christ, I'm now free kind of to live however I want. But Paul in Romans 6.15 says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. We might think that it's, okay and and actually maybe even good for us but choosing sin is never the good option secondly we see another striking thing in these lists of covenant curses we see how sin brings with us some very real consequences it's quite striking that this curses section in our passage is more than twice as long as the blessing part of the chapter and the list of curses are quite horrific, promising that for Israel, disobedience would eventually lead to some very desperate times. And as you read the rest of the Old Testament, you find quite a gloomy picture take shape. It's like reading a dark novel that just never gets any better. Israel consistently breaks their covenant with God. They turn their backs on him. They spurn his commandments and substitute true worship of God with the worship of idols and foreign gods. Their rich and powerful rulers and leaders they abuse their position and oppress the poor. Their own spiritual practices become so deplorable that they even conduct child sacrifice like the nations around them, offering their own children to false gods. They become so deplorable in God's eyes, so wicked and sinful, that God sends nations from the north to conquer them. First Assyria and then Babylon come and destroy both the northern kingdom of Israel and eventually the southern kingdom of Judah as well. Carrying all the people off into exile, and indeed during some of those sieges, the people of Israel become so desperate that they turn to cannibalism. And you can read about that in Second Kings chapter six. It's shocking. It's it's really difficult to face to see the situation that they face and the consequences of their sin. Our modern world, when we they consider whether God truly exists, many cannot imagine a God who would judge and hand them over to their sinful choices and the consequences of that. And yet, we are so quick to blame God for the just consequences of sin that humanity has really brought upon ourselves. All the way back when Adam and Eve brought sin into the world and every generation ever since has carried forward and lived out the very same sin for all according to scripture are sinners for God's people today our passage is a reminder for us just how terrible sin and its consequences are for Christian's God's words reminds us that our actions whether good or bad carry with it very real consequences God hasn't offered us cheap grace, as the German martyr Diedrich Bonhoeffer famously said and described it in that way. We haven't been saved to go on living a life of selfish sin. And if we choose the path of sin, we may not experience the exact same list of consequences. These, These lists that we see here was first and foremost applicable to Israel. But we will experience something at the Lord's hand. Sin will be harmful to us in some way. Even if it is primarily feeling a distance from God for a time. Uh, If you're not a Christian and hearing this message today, God's word is a solemn reminder to recognize the true weight of your sin. Indeed, to take your sin seriously to acknowledge it even in the first place, if you haven't. In Romans 3.23, it says, Therefore all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us face this reality, that we are sinners. Just thirdly and, and briefly, notice one last striking thing about these covenant curses. Notice that how throughout the passage, For God's people, they are described as discipline. Discipline means like actually God disciplining their child. This means that when Christians experience consequences for their sin, even severe ones at times, if you are God's child, God is still with you and not against you. Not that every hardship we face might be because of our personal sin it might be for other sin in the world or other reasons but if it is because of what we've done if you are god's child god will still use that experience for your spiritual good and that can be a hard lesson to learn but as psalm 94 verse 12 says blessed is the man whom you discipline o lord So, so far we've seen that God makes promises. We've seen the promise of blessing for the path of obedience. We've seen the promise of cursings for disobedience, which is really all of us because we're all disobedient. But there's one last promise that we find in our passage today. And that is the promise of grace. Despite how sinful Israel were, how proud their hearts had become, how much they were promise-breaking people by nature, God still offered a way out for them and a way out for us too. What was this way out? If we are truly sinful through and through, and obedience actually isn't something we can do in our own strength, if we are all truly promise breakers in God's eyes, how can we escape the curse of sin ourselves? Well it's through the promise of grace. A promise in grace that leads us to none other than to Jesus Christ. We find this from verse forty in our passage. There if it's said if someone confesses their sins and iniquity, if they humble themselves before God Almighty, how will God respond? He will remember. Remember what? The covenant to Abraham. Hang on a second. This is a little bit confusing. Why the promise and covenant to Abraham? We've just spent our whole Leviticus series talking about the Mosaic Covenant. We've been talking about the laws given to Moses on Mount Sinai, on the mountain that God came down from heaven and spoke to Moses face to face. Why now do we suddenly speak of the covenant to Abraham? I wonder if you've ever had a conversation where by the end of the conversation, you've just discovered that you were talking about two entirely different things with the person, and you kind of shrug your shoulders and walk off a bit awkwardly. Well, without proper explanation, this could seem like one of those situations. But a proper explanation is well worth it, because a proper explanation reveals the profound gospel that saves souls. The very message that is God's salvation to the world, to all who believe. Paul explains for us in Romans 4.13, where he says there, he says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, through the Mosaic law, but through the righteousness of faith. It's saying that faith plays a really important part. Furthermore, Paul explains in Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, by trying to be obedient in their own strength, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. There's some really heavy truths that Paul is saying in these few verses. But in summary, what Paul is teaching us that is in these verses, that is what I've just read, that earning our way to God can't be done through trying hard enough to be obedient ourselves. Instead, he teaches us that salvation, that the way of blessing, that fulfillment and true joy, And all the goodness of God, indeed God himself, comes to us through an entirely new way. A way offered through faith in Jesus alone. For it was through Jesus, who he was the one who fulfilled the promises made to Abraham all those years ago. I like perhaps imagine it this way: If you are driving along a road and you suddenly get to a fork in the road, and you, and you look up and there's two signposts there above you. To the left, the sign reads "To God via your own deeds," but as you peer down that road, all you see is a black, murky dead end. But as you look up and see the sign to the right, it reads, To God via faith in Jesus. You look down that road and you see that it's like light, like the sun. The way is straight, the road is open and inviting. The temptation for us as Christians is to hear these promises of blessing and cursing and to think, Well,. All I need to do then is try really hard to be obedient and make myself good enough for God. To perhaps even beat yourself up on the inside when you fail. But this is choosing the path to the left. Instead, God has destined you to walk a different path. Instead, in your moments of failure and experiencing the weight of your sin, is to choose the way of faith. To walk by the Spirit, as Paul says. To look to Jesus and remember that you've already been accepted in God's eyes. Counted as righteousness, given His perfect nature. uh, Declared righteous in God's eyes. You're considered pure in God's sight because of Jesus. And increasingly through His Spirit being made to be more so in your life. It's allowing His grace and His love to spur you on to obedience from the heart. That's what the secret of true freedom, according to the gospel, is all about. Freedom from sin and from the weight of your sin and the consequences. You may still feel consequences in this life, but in the end, we will be made perfect and all that sin will be taken away in the life to come. It's knowing that the door, the path to God has been opened wide to you through Jesus. That he has secured blessing for you. Blessing that would otherwise remain completely shut off from you. The question for each of us today is whether or not deep down we've we've truly chosen that right path and road in life. Whether you truly have reached out in faith to Jesus at all to begin with. Having acknowledged that you can't know God through your own good works, that that road to the left only leads to death. And only by believing in Jesus alone for salvation, through his death and resurrection, can you begin to become promise-keeping people from the heart. Having trusted in Jesus, the one who kept our side of the bargain on our behalf, when we could not have done so ourselves. All because he lived that perfect, sinless life on earth that you and I couldn't. And so have you, in faith, walked that path that leads to God through him, where you experience true joy, fulfillment, and eternal life? Amen. Let me pray. Our Heavy Father, as we have considered this quite heavy passage in a lot of ways, and considered the way of life and way of death, that Jesus is truly our only hope in life. Father, I pray that you might spur us on in obedience to you and in holy living and to see that truly as the way forward, that that is a good thing for us. But Father, we confess that we do fail often and that we struggle to live for you wholesomely. Holy Spirit, will you... Forgive forgive us, uh, Jesus, for where we have failed. Will you help us to live lives that are honouring to you? And thank you, Jesus, that you have accepted us, that we are accepted in you, in God's eyes, and that we can live a life knowing you as our greatest joy. Father, I do pray for anyone here that doesn't know Jesus. I pray, Father, that you might graciously reveal yourself to them that they might see their need for you and that they might be convicted that living a life for you really is a good thing and father we pray all these things for your glory amen